Boots, boots and behinds. Boots and behinds. That's all I saw. That's all I could see in the crowd were the boots and the behinds. It was, it was probably about 50 plus years ago. And I had, uh, I had somehow strayed away from my mom and dad and was looking at the green and yellow fancy new tractors of John Deere or, or the red shiny tractors of an Alice Charmer. I, I was walking and I wandered off. It was, it was the big event of the whole year for the Rio Grande Valley. It was the Rio Grande Valley Livestock and Rodeo. And all the farmers and ranchers came out and showed their animals and all the fancy new tractors and equipment. And I just somehow got enamored with that. And as, as I turned around, all I saw were boots and behinds of the crowd. I had no idea where I was. I cried and cried out my family's name, and I promise you they didn't ditch me. They were really looking for me is what I understood. But I found myself later in this uh, little office of bright fluorescent uh, lights, and, and the men in that office said, well, who are your parents? And I said, well, mom and dad. That's, that's the only names I knew. I was probably about five years old. And one of the gentlemen said, I bet you're Happy's boy. That's my dad's name, Happy. I bet you're Happy's boy. One, there weren't a lot of Japanese farmers in that area. There were a few. But uh, the sound over the speakers came. Happy, Happy and Kay come to the office, to the lost and found. And as my dad walked in, they said, Happy, is this your boy? And he said, yes, that's my son. There's something about hearing your dad say that but and hearing that familiar voice of his and that fatherly love that comes with saying, yes, that's my son, that's my boy. I probably got a scolding, but I'm sure I got cotton candy. That's probably what I remember about that day. This, uh, this, this scene of, of hearing your father's voice is found here in Mark. But it's just not a, a familiar fatherly love voice from God the Father to Jesus. There's a lot more that happens during this time. If you've been following along with us in our Bible study of, of Mark, uh, we have every Wednesday been going through the Gospel of Mark. Mark starts off with, in the beginning, the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. And all through Mark, uh, it moves really, really fast, like we've said. It's not, we kind of see it as not as majestic as John's opening, or doesn't talk much about the birth narratives like Matthew and Luke. But don't be fooled. Mark is pretty amazing. Mark has all these echoes that come from from the Old Testament that is every bit as majestic as the Gospel of John. When, When he says this is the Gospel 
This is the beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. He will move into uh, uh, Isaiah and different parts of the body of the Bible that will say that there is one coming. There is one coming and make the path straight. Make, pa- make the path straight for the way of the Lord. He is alluding to that God is coming down. And then immediately we see this strange figure of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is not just this strange guy that we find out on the street preaching on the corner. He is the very, very precursor to not just the Messiah, but to the very God who will come down. And when John the Baptist preaches, he is preaching that not just the Messiah will come, but that he will be leading the way for God himself to come down from heaven. And heaven will be torn, right? Heaven will be be split open, and we will hear, we will hear the voice of God. So all these things from Mark all point to one thing, that God has come down, that God has entered into time and space, and that God is bringing his kingdom. It's interesting, uh, Patrick talked about uh, Julius Caesar and and the overthrow of the republic. I believe on this day, if, if I heard it right from a theologian that I listened to, on this day, January 10th, Caesar makes the big decision. Does he cross the Rubicon or does he not? Does he cross the Rubicon to destroy a republic and overthrow a republic and become the Caesar? Or does he stay back? And he chooses, he chooses to overthrow the government. What happens in the baptism of Jesus is very much like that. It is the crossing of the Rubicon. It is a decisive time and purpose and place. The Jordan River has always been in the Old Testament a place of decision and of significant adventures with God. And it is by not a coincidence that at the Jordan, people from all over the countryside from, from Galilee to Jerusalem are coming in a big crowd to hear John the Baptist preach because they desire not just tradition, not just human works, they desire to hear from God. They desire to be filled and to feel that there's a purpose, that there is something more than, than this temple activity of sacrifice over and over again. They are looking for something to fill that hole in them. And so they come to the Jordan, and they come to the Jordan to hear John. But John will say something extraordinary when he comes upon Jesus, and he will say, this is the one. This is the one. And he will baptize Jesus in the Jordan River. And in that, the heavens are torn apart. A dove appears uh, as an example of the Holy Spirit who comes not just onto Jesus, but into Jesus. 
and a voice will be heard that will say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. All those things happen because it is the inauguration, it is the crossing of the Rubicon of the ministry and life of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. He has come to overthrow and to bring back the kingdom that belongs to him. He is the strong man who will overcome the one who believes he is the real strong man, Satan. You'll see that in chapter 3. Jesus is the one who will overthrow Satan. As we come to his baptism, we understand that when he is baptized by John, that it is the inauguration of, of his purpose and of his mission. We will see that he is empowered by the Holy Spirit, not just to speak and act like God, but to fully show that he is the very God in the flesh who has come down, who has invaded and who is bringing his kingdom, the one who will cast out demons, the one who will heal the sick, the one who will challenge the traditional leadership of the temple and the Sanhedrin to say, God is a God of love and a God of mercy and a God of grace and a God of hope who will call people from the very outside or the very inside into his kingdom, Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, black or white. That is the God of the universe who is inaugurating his kingdom, who will cross and to overthrow and to bring about all this purpose. When we baptize these young kids at 11 o'clock, it is just not a symbolic sprinkling of water. It's just not a tradition of the church. It is a tearing, a rendering of heaven, the heaven that has come down here onto earth. It is the gospel of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. It is not compartmentalized into sermons or preaching or doing good works. It is all about who, who the gospel is, not what the gospel is. It is about who the gospel is. And the gospel is Jesus the Christ. And when they are baptized, they are baptized into his life, empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a community, to be a part of his body, and to show forth what it means to live as the beloved of the Son of God. You may be blinded or just overwhelmed by the boots and the behinds that you see in the crowd. But if you would just stop, and if you would listen to the voice of the God who calls you his beloved, his son or his daughter, and he has called us to act and to live as his most beloved, Jesus the Christ. Amen.